0: John 6, verses 1 to 14. And the title is Feeding the 5,000. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover the festival of the Jews was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what was going to do, what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 6 months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Well, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, all about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them, tr- distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied... He told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. May the Lord bless this reading. And thank you, Kylie.
1: Good morning, everyone. This morning, I would like to tell you three stories. The first story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. What a great story, hey? The second story has a beginning and a middle, and the third story just has a beginning. So the first story is kind of what we have just heard. Here we have a whole crowd of people who uh, Jesus is traveling around, and and we're starting to hear about this man Jesus. But it's interesting, if you look in the little bits, the chapters before John chapter 6, in John chapter 4, we find out a little bit about the atmosphere of the crowds who are following Jesus. Jesus says to them in chapter 4, verse 48 of John, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And then in the next chapter, he says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And when I read those verses, I kind of get the feeling that the world back in Jesus' time was not at all dissimilar to the world that we live in today. We have people who are searching for the truth, who are looking for answers. They're looking into spirituality, they're looking into religion, and yet there seems to be this unspoken thing that any religion will meet my needs except for Christianity. And there's this this whole thing of, I want to know the truth, I want you to tell me the truth, but I will accept it as the truth if I would like to accept it as the truth. And that's kind of what is facing Jesus. These people are sceptical and stubborn. They're searching and yet they're unteachable. They're happy to find their own way. So there's this, in verse 2 of chapter 6, there's a hunger in this crowd for the supernatural. There's a curiosity. There's a deep hunger and awareness that there is a need within each person that is far greater than what this world has to offer. And some of you, you, you've experienced this, you know it, that the world doesn't have anything to whet the appetite of, to, to, to quench the appetite of, of what is inside each person. And so they know that there's something neat, greater than what they already have. And so they're following Jesus. They're wanting to see. And so Jesus is performing signs, he's performing miracles for them. And yet they're still wondering. So, verse five, Jesus lifts up his eyes and there's a huge, massive crowd. So he says to Philip, Where are we going to find? bread i want us to think about that crowd for just a minute because we live in the crowd we are the phillips do you ever do you ever you know hear a great sermon or, or think about i don't know you think about the world you think about the people who die without hearing about jesus and you think oh man the world's going to pot like it's crazy it's just it's terrible what's happening and what am i supposed to do about it it's an overwhelming need And I don't know about you, but I feel that need when I look at the world around me. But sometimes I feel that need when I look at my own life. Like, oh, man, there's these overwhelming needs. Where where are they going to get met? And how is this going to be provided for? And how is this going to work out? And how is that going to work out? And I think that whenever there's a big need, we have an amazing opportunity. It's like a fork in the road, if you like. Whenever there's a big need, we have two options. We can walk the path of hubris... Or we can walk the path of humility. So the, the path of hubris says, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going I'm to call on some friends maybe, but I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to go to another course. I'm going to go to another class. I'm going to think about all the things I know. And I'm going to do something. I am going to do something about this need. And, and sometimes it's in our own lives, I'll take control of this situation. And sometimes in the world around me, I've got this idea. I will meet these needs. But instead, humility says, hang on a second, what is it that God is going to do and wants to do to meet these needs? And that's what I find interesting. When Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, if I was Philip, I would have heard this. I would have heard Jesus saying to me, Philip, what are you going to do about lunch, mate? Where are you going to find the food, right? But that's not what Jesus said. He said, where are we going to find bread and food for these people, Jesus doesn't ask us to solve these problems, to meet the needs of the world around us or in our own lives by ourselves. That's, that's not what he's asking, Philip. He says, hey, we're a partnership. Let's do this together. Where are we going to find bread? And, and, and I think that when I read this, then I hear instead there's an invitation. When there's an overwhelming need in my life, in the world around me, it's like Jesus says to me, hey, Kylie, what are we going to do? And humility responds and says, Jesus yeah, what are we going to do? What are you going to do in me and through me in the face of this desperate need? And then all of a sudden, I'm in a position where I can hear his leading and I can hear his calling and I, and I can receive his direction for where to go next. So instead of being crippled by the overwhelming needs, instead it's this prayer of God, it's you or nothing. You come through or there's nothing for these people. And there's an old hymn, there's a great line in it. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. God has a plan so much greater than Philip's resources when he asks Philip this question. And when God opens your eyes and my eyes to the needs of the world around us and even the needs that are facing our own lives, he has so much more in mind than what our eyes can see when he asks that question. What are we going to do? What are we going to find to feed the crowd? So Philip knows that what he has is not enough. And this is where one of my favorite characters in this story comes in. In verse 8, we meet this, or verse 9, we meet this little boy. We meet this little boy. Now, I was absolutely thrilled to hear that there are some youngsters in the church in in the service this morning, because I want you to hear this story and understand that this little boy was a little boy. And he played an incredible, incredible role. Without him in this story, I don't know what this story would have been, right? Here's his story. He's sitting there minding his own business and then he gets a, you know, I don't know, what happened? Think about it. Was, was everyone looking through the, you know, walking through the field of people and searching bags and being like, excuse me, inspection, what have you got in there? Oh, no food there, dirty nappies there, not, not that one. You know, like what, how did they find out or maybe his food t- smelt so good that they were like, oh, just follow the nose. There it is, right there, right there. This little boy's got some lunch. Regardless of how it happened, here's this little boy. He's sitting there minding his own business. Next minute, he's being dragged off to Jesus and here's his lunch. And and Philip's like, well, here you go. He he's got he's got lunch. Now he hasn't he hasn't got much. How much does he have? He's got enough for his own lunch. He's got enough to sit down and eat his lunch and be satisfied. He's got enough to satisfy himself. Interesting thought there. You and I have enough. To satisfy ourselves you know like in the sense of and I think of this in a gospel sense, if you' were here this morning you 've heard the gospel in some way shape or form or you're, you're hearing it right and and you 've got enough to, to to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life and enter into heaven and fellowship with him you 've got enough for you is that all is that all the is that all there is to the gospel is it just about you it 's not just about you, but you've got a choice like we can just Enjoy this little, you know, this is what I've got. But here this little boy has an opportunity. He doesn't know it yet. He doesn't realize fully how great his opportunity is to take his lunch to not just satisfy himself, but to feed a multitude. Our lunch is meant to be shared. Our lunch is not just for us. And so it extends beyond that. It's also our resources, our talents. You know, you can live a self-centered life where you are comfortable, and you are just cruisy, and you get everything that you want, you can eat your lunch, or you can choose to share it. So this little boy, what an example. He's willing for change. I don't like change, personally. I don't know about you, but I don't like change. I recently had to change my phone because of a few different reasons, and I swapped from an Android to an iPhone, and I was the grumpiest swapper in the world, and I still, like, there's this, oh, I can't pick my phone up because I don't know what to do with it. Like, I just don't like change, whereas some people love it. But this little boy was willing for change because in order for him to give up his lunch, he's saying, well, I don't know what my lunch is going to look like. There's this period of uncertainty. I don't know if I'm going to have lunch, but okay, give it up. He's willing to surrender his own plans, his own, his own understanding of what lunch is going to look like. Are you? Your resources, your talents, the, the things that you're involved in and the opportunities that you've got, are you, are you willing to say, oh, actually, God, you might want to change things up, and that's okay with me that's okay with me, beyond my own comfort, that, that's okay with me. So he gave what he had, he handed his lunch over. Now, if I was him, a young boy, I probably would have, I don't know, chucked a little loaf in my pocket or a fish or, or something, or been like, look, you know, realistically speaking, we all know it's not going to feed everybody, so let's go halves. You know, my mum packed my lunch, bless her heart, I'm not going to, you know, you should have had mums that thought of that too. Um, but instead, he gave it all back. Now think about, he, think about that. He gave it all to Jesus. I, that's not recorded here. There's no record of him saying, oh, but it's, it's not enough for everybody. It's nothing. And maybe there's some gluten-free people and this is not gluten-free bread, you know? <laughs> or how about vegetarians? This is fish, you know? Excuses like, so, it's just not quite, it's not enough. Or, or and there was not, there's there just, there weren't those excuses. How often have you been called on and given opportunities by God to share your resources, share your talents, share your time. And you've had excuses. Oh, I'm not really good at that, so somebody else should do it. Or, oh, yeah, look, it, it, I just haven't got enough, so my little part's not going to make any difference. This little boy is leading by example. This is just, just hands it over, hands the whole thing over. But what strikes me then is after he's handed his lunch over, what is left in his hands? Nothing. He experiences a period of emptiness. I remember talking to a returned missionary. She'd been out in the field for, I think it was about 11 years or something, and, and she was saying that this is her experience. She comes back from the field and she says, God, I've given you everything and I don't, I, what's left? I don't. And the challenge in that time of what, what, what do we do? Because this is the thing, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're not promised that our lunch will always be multiplied back to us with great comfort, with great wonder, with great joy and everything we ever wanted. It's not a magical formula. But discipleship is when he he asks, we give, without the expectation that he is gonna give back what we want or how we want or when we want. There's no guarantees except for God himself here. This little boy hands over his lunch and then he's left empty. What if he starves? He doesn't know. What if everyone gets fed except for him? He doesn't know. What if he gets handed back a bowl of lentils in exchange and he doesn't like lentils? We don't know. He doesn't know. But out of love and obedience, that's what happens when we say, I I will follow you, Jesus. I will give you what you ask. And it's not my responsibility what you do with it. It's not my responsibility what you give back to me. But I will give regardless without expecting you to give back, but knowing that you are with me. And I have you as my guarantee. And so then verse 11, this is great. Isn't it just, just a great story? Like, think about, I just, I just, I would love to know when the multiplication happened. Have you all thought about that? And that's what I used to do in Sunday school. But but, 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 but was it while he was praying? Because no one would have seen it because their eyes were all closed, right? That was what I've concluded. Verse 11, he took the loaves, he gave thanks, he distributed to those who were seating, seated and all of the fish as much as they wanted. These people this whole entire crowd got to eat as much as they jolly wanted because of one little boy who was happy to share his lunch. And I think there was a spiritual and a physical feeding that happened there. I mean, this is obviously a physical feeding where they, they get to eat the loaves and breads. But for those who have come hungry, that there would be more to life, that there would be more to their own dreams and their, their own ideas and their own um, understanding of the, of, of the spiritual world, that they've also been fed by the message and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so much so that they had had all been fed, but then in verse 12, they even have leftovers. They even have leftovers. But here's my favorite part of this story. My very favorite part of this story is in verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Can you think about the weight of that for a moment here? are the people of Israel who have been waiting and hoping and, and praying for and longing and weeping for the Messiah to come and save them. The anticipation in their hearts has been happening for centuries. And all of a sudden, in this moment, because of a little boy who's willing to share his lunch, this crowd respond and say, wow, here he is Do you know that there are so many in the world who are waiting for that moment of realisation? That are waiting, that they've got spiritual longings and hungers and needs and desires, and they are waiting to hear some good news. They're waiting to hear that the Messiah has come, that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Whose lunch is God going to use to take that message to them? And so that's the story of the little boy. The size of his lunch was irrelevant to the story. The size of the crowd was irrelevant to the story. But the size of his God is what made all of the difference. And so that's the first story. There's the beginning, the middle, and the end. This little boy, he has an opportunity to give his lunch to God, and so he does. And at the end of that story, we see an incredible abundance of blessing, where God uses his little little offering to reveal himself as the saviour of the world to a massive, massive crowd. That's the first story. Let me tell you a second story. The second story is about me. When I was a little kid, I, um, I grew up as a pastor's child. My dad was a pastor, and I was four years old when I was in the lounge room by myself one day watching the Jesus film, and I'm pretty sure... That's a dead giveaway that I was a pastor's kid because I'm not sure how many people put the Jesus film on to entertain their kids in the afternoon. But anyway, that's what happened. I was sitting there watching the Jesus film and when we got to the end, and, you know, there's the prayer, it was then that I realised for the first time that, yeah, Jesus died for my sin and, and I needed Jesus in my life. So I remember getting down on my knees and, and praying and asking, asking him to come into my life. That was when I was four. And then when I, when I was a bit older, about five, six, something like that, a missionary came to our church and he talked about the number of people who die because they believe in Jesus, who are killed for their faith. But he also talked about the number of people who die without having heard about Jesus. And that I just remember registering that as being really sad and really terrible. And I remember going to my little bright pink Velcro purse, which was so cool back then, and I ripped it open to see how much was in there, and there was only $5, and so I pulled out $5, which probably was a bit of money back then. I mean, I don't know, life savings. Pulled out my $5, I went to the missionary, and I gave it to him, and I said, would you please take this money and use it and and send it to people who don't have a Bible, and and, yeah, buy a Bible for them. And bless the dear man, I actually found this letter the other day when I was going through some things. He wrote me a letter. And in the letter, he, he just said something like, um, thank you for your gift, Kylie. Your $5 has made a difference and has enabled the purchase of a Bible for some people in parts of the world where they wouldn't otherwise be able to have access to the scriptures. And you know what? I realized that I was just a child, but I could make a difference. $5 is not really a lot. When you realize, hey, it was just a tiny little bit of lunch, but wow, God took it and he can actually use it. And that's why I'm excited that you young people are in here because guess what, guys? You are so important to the story of the kingdom of God in this world. Don't don't think, oh, I'm too young and I just don't even know anything at all. No, 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 no. That's fantastic. Whatever it is you've got in your hands, Jesus wants to take and use. So if it's $5, great, great. If you've got a personnel and you could talk to strangers and you can greet them warmly or, or whatever it is, great. If it's smiling to people at church, if it's making you know, other children feel welcome in, in, in environments where maybe they don't, they don't really get welcomed, that's fantastic. Whatever it is, you, you, you go home and get excited because no, no that there's no like, God doesn't look down and say, okay, well, when this person's this old, then I'll start using them you are all if you exist then you're at the right age for him to use and then for any adults in the room don't ever underestimate the power and the impact of your words and your stories on those who are younger around you use your words really well use them carefully take opportunities to engage with young people. doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are. Take opportunities to encourage them because you never know how God is going to use a word like that because this missionary sharing in my church, his words really formed a trajectory for my life, which has been incredible. And I'm thankful for his, for his taking the time to encourage me in that. And so as I got older, my parents really encouraged me to learn to be faithful in service because most parents... Um, understandably, don't let their children go overseas as missionaries when they're six years old. So um, I had to wait a little while. Um, But in the meantime, just learning what it means to see opportunities around and to step into them joyfully and and work diligently and and how to to really bless and serve the people um, around us. And so as I got older those opportunities started to change a little bit. I had opportunities to be part of a number of overseas um, missions trips, um, and I was helping run youth programs overseas and um, Sunday school teacher training programs, did some musical concert outreaches, those, those sorts of things, and just incredible opportunities that were far beyond. I'm pretty sure God got the wrong person a lot of the times, but I'm so thankful for the opportunities that, that are there. When, you're, when, you say willing, when you say that you're willing to go where God leads you, be prepared to be surprised at where and how he leads. And so then I uh, came back and I thought, oh, I need to, I really would love to do overseas full-time missions one day. And so how can I best equip myself and prepare myself for that? And so I did a number of um, degrees. I did a lot of study. And really that whole time though, wanting to serve God with my life, but always the question was, Not so much will I serve God, but where and how is it that you want me to serve you right now? And I think that's a question that we can all be asking, regardless of age, where and how can I be serving God right now? And so um, about six years ago, God led me and a number of other young people to start a ministry called Renew. Uh, and, and our theme really there is understanding that we're wanting to engage with a generation of young leaders who are poised and equipped to reach a whole new generation of young people around the world. And so there's a big theme on discipleship. We're wanting to disciple, disciple makers who will also repeat that cycle over and over again. Because as we consider what our role in the church is and the greater church is, um, I think about the Great Commission. And, you know, in in English, really, often when we hear the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, often the emphasis that we hear is on the word go. But if you look into the Greek, really, the emphasis there is actually on disciple. Disciple, as you go, disciple. So discipling is the main key operative word. And so we're called to be disciple makers. So at Renew, that's what, that's what our vision is. Our ministry is wanting to partner with local churches in other parts of the world and equip their people and train them and and really, I guess, cheer for them, um, helping them to be more effective as disciple makers. But that really is a responsibility that we all share. And, and when I first uh, applied to become a missionary, someone asked me, actually a few people asked me, oh, so how did how did you get called into missions? Like, how do you know that God wants you to do this? And I'll, I'll just be upfront and candid here and say that it was a little bit uncomfortable because the first couple of times people asked me that I didn't really have an answer. I was like, well, um, yeah, God has, um, pretty sure God has called me to do it, but it's not very really compelling. And so I, th- I went away and I thought about it and I prayed about it and I wrestled with it and I couldn't figure out, well, how am I so certain that this is what I'm supposed to do? And I came to this conclusion I was always taught that, I don't know, you read the scripture and you believe what it says. And so when Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, I think that's what he meant. And he didn't put any disclaimers in there about who is supposed to go, when and where. He said, go, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is what I came to understand, what if I didn't have a call as such because that's who God created me to be? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is my birthright. It's in my DNA. You know, if a child, a little child starts to crawl, or they start to walk, hopefully everyone's excited, but hopefully no one is shocked, right? When a child starts to crawl, hopefully no one's like, oh my goodness, what is this? Let's send them off to a lab and find out what's going on. Why is this child walking, right? Right? And I'll be honest, sometimes that's the kind of response I get when when I say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going as a missionary. People are like, really? Like, really? But think about it. In the Old Testament, we read of God's great mission as pursuing relationship with mankind. And we see that in the gift of Jesus Christ. He came to restore our relationship with God. And then when Jesus left, he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, the mission that God gave me is the same mission that I am giving you. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is my responsibility and it is my birthright, it's in my DNA to share the gospel, to go as a disciple maker to all the the ends of the earth. Now, why, though, do we need to go overseas? Why can't we just stay here? And you're right, I mean, there's a lot of people in Australia that, have never heard the gospel. But, you know, I think statistically it's... Oh, man, I should have checked this stat up. But but, but it's roughly... If every Christian in Australia shared the gospel with, I think it's 17 people... Was it 17 or seven? Seven? Seven people. Then all of Australia would be evangelised. They would have all heard the the gospel. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? If every Christian in Australia, everyone who claimed to be a Christian, went and shared the gospel with seven people who hadn't heard it, Australia would be evangelised. But do you know how many countries there are where that statistic is not at all true? Thailand, Japan, even Taiwan, where it's, the ratio is hundreds, like 500 non-Christians to every Christian. So humanly speaking, that's impossible for these Christians in other countries to go and share the gospel with everyone in their land who's never heard it before. And so as the, as the body of Christ, we need to help each other out. Their country is as much our responsibility as our country is theirs. And so, um, where I'm going is in the 1040 window. And the ministry that I'll be heading up with Renew and training leaders um, is majoritively going to be operating in the 1040 window. Why the 1040 window? You may have seen this before. Approximately 2 thirds of the world's population lives inside this box that you see. That's 86% of all unreached people groups. But did you know that less than 10% of Western mission resources and effort goes into that window. doesn't make sense that the greatest need is the area where there is the least amount of resources poured. And so I am passionate about going to this area and, 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 and empowering other people to be multipliers of the gospel as well There as we disciple and train disciple makers to be doing that with others. And so I am leaving in two weeks. I'll be heading to Taiwan, where I will be based in Taiwan. And it's an interesting story. I mean, it's a different story. Originally, up until about a month ago, I was actually heading to another country, which is a very closed um, country at the moment, um, and just praying that God would continue to lead the whole time. And as time got closer and visas became, evidently visas were just not going to happen. Um, and so God re- has redirected me to Taiwan, Um which, I, you know, I can see the hand of God because originally where I was going, it would have been, most of my work would have been in one country. Um, and now God has actually opened the region and there's opportunities in a number of countries to be able to do what I was going to originally do just in one country before but I'm here to ask for your prayers today because this is the second story. I told you the second story just has a beginning and a middle, right? Well, I'm in the middle of my story. I'm not that little boy who's finished yet. That story is not done for me and I'm here to ask for you to pray for me to be faithful to the end of my story because that little boy is brave and courageous and I am not brave and courageous and I need a lot of God's help in order to faithfully go to um, finish to the end, so I've got some prayer cards out there in the, in the foyer, and there's also a sign-up sheet if you would like to sign up and receive my newsletter. If you would like to partner with me in, in praying for me, and if you would like to, if God would lead you to financially support me as well, but I I need prayers to finish this to finish this well, you know. This little boy, if it, if, if the analogy was the same, I probably would be coming up to Philip and be like, "Do you think I could just have a little crumb now? Do you think I could just have? Can I just have some before Jesus finishes praying and gives it all away?" Um, and even just last week, I had an overwhelming moment when uh, it was like, "Oh, this is this is a really big job, and I and, I, and I, I don't know if I can do this." And and God blessed me through this little boy with this the reminder, "Hey, you know, no, no, you're only responsible to give me what you've got. Don't worry about don't worry about the needs. Don't worry about what happens. Just give me what you've got. That's 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 my responsibility." So that's the second story. But there's a third story. The third story is your story. You're here today. You've been given time and talents and resources. Every one of you has got lunch. You've got enough lunch to sit down on the grass and feed yourself and be very happy and contented. But what are you doing with your lunch? You can choose. Do you want to have just enough? Or Do you want to have a feast? What is it, what is it that God maybe has put on your heart before that maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe you've kind of ignored before. Not really sure if, that's, if that's, that's not really me. That's a bit extreme. I don't want to be one of those extreme Christians. You only get one chance at life. Life is short and eternity is really long. And your lunch in the hands of Jesus Christ can feed a multitude, can feed the world around you, can transform your own life, can transform the lives of other people. No, it's not necessarily going to be easy. It's not necessarily going to be fun. Not necessarily going to be comfortable. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is your mission as well. You know, it's not the missionaries and everyone else, it's not the us and the them. We are one body. And discipleship, sharing the gospel with the world, does not belong to the missionaries. It doesn't belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to the leaders of your church. It belongs to every single one of you in these seats today. It's your birthright. It's in your DNA to be sharing the gospel, to be discipling. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you can disciple Somebody. So who are you discipling? Who are you pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm really blessed by the example of my grandparents. My grandma's birthday is in two weeks' time, two and a half weeks time. and She'll be turning 99, and my grandfather will be turning 28. Oh, uh, sorry, 90, 28, 98. Um, he's not far behind. He's not far behind her. <laughs> She's not far behind her, and, and, and their health is, you know, I mean, if, when you're ninety-nine, I think that if you're alive, you're doing really well, and their health is a little bit rough at sometimes. And sometimes she'll say to me, Kylie, I just don't know why Jesus won't let me die and go to heaven and be with him. I'm just done. I'm ready to be gone. But then sometimes she'll have these wonderful, then she says, Kai, I know why I'm here. I'm here to pray. And she prays. They, my grandparents are the most incredible prayer warriors. And and she they, they go for walks. Like it's very slow, but they go for walks each day because Nan tells me that if she doesn't make Gramps go for a walk every day, he's getting lazy. And so he must go for a walk every day. And so they 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 trundle out the house. But as they walk, they bump into the neighbours because it takes them so long to get past the neighbor's house. They've got a long time to talk. So they bump into the neighbours, and they know some of the neighbours, and they forget their names, but they are praying for those neighbours. And when they when they talk, you know bump into people along the path, they'll stop and have a conversation. And my grandma will tell them, "I will be praying for you." She t- can't get around very much now. She can't do a whole heap, but she is doing what she can with the little amount of lunch that she's got. And I think that's what it's all about. Can we pray? Lord God, you are a good God and you have given us so generously and so graciously our own lunches. Every single person in this room has something in their hands that you have given to us and that you ask as disciples of Jesus Christ to give back to you for your service, for your glory, for your honor, for you to do with it whatever you want. And so I pray, as we leave this place, as we go into the rest of our day, would you keep this message burning in our heart with a big question mark over our story? How is it going to end? What is it that you're asking of us and what is it that we need to do to respond to your voice and your promptings? And what is the end going to look like when you have our all, when you have everything we've got and you have full freedom to use it however you want? Help us to be sensitive to the promptings of your spirit and obedient, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.